Hello everyone, this is The Spirit World and Avatar The Last Airbender Podcast. I'm your moderator, Evan Catlin, and joining me this week is my co-moderator, Emily Danko. Hello! And panelists, Corey Hollingsworth. Hi! And Jeff Harmon. Hello everyone, nice to be here. So, uh, this is a very special episode because for the first time we have a uh, new guest, Jeff. Mm -hmm. Uh, kind of just introduce yourself, uh, let us know you know how you came into the fandom and your experiences with the fandom. Well, first of all, I'm, I know all three of you from uh, college. We should probably point that out. It's been a while since I've seen all of you three of you. Nice to see you again during COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. As for my uh, fandom, I actually was introduced to Korra first, not Avatar oh. Last Airbender. Oh. So it was very weird... And I didn't get the opportunity to watch Avatar until much later when it was on Netflix. So it was very weird starting off with Korra, I think around when season one was airing originally, and then going to Avatar much later, because looking back on it, Korra references that show so much. I mean, other than being a sequel. So it's like, I'm learn stuff like... Um, Jinora asking about Zuko's mom. I, I didn't know what that meant at the beginning, but uh, now I do understand the um, gravity of what that question means. And I still don't know the answer to it, because I haven't read any of the comics, so uh, you're going to have to fill me in on okay. all that. It's, it's but a I, good Well, uh, yeah. I mean, next week we're going to be recording the episode or the episode involving what happened to Zuko's oh, mom, cool. so... That might be interesting to discuss. Um, honestly, uh, I didn't know that about you, and that actually brings a really cool perspective into the show, that you were able to view Korra as a whole mm-hmm. with no preconceptions about the original series. Um, and so that kind of that uh, makes me excited to talk about um, everything today. So oh, awesome. uh, thank you for being here. No problem. Um, yeah, so our first segment, as always, is Ember Island clickbait. Woo-hoo. But uh, what I want to do today is a little different. Um, I've kind of got the impression that I've been starting the podcast very negative, talking about, you know, oh man, look how dumb this person is. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to yeah. do that every week. It's fun, but I don't want to do that every week. So uh, this week we're going to talk about um, a more positive uh, episode or uh, a more positive article. And this is the 10 most underrated episodes of Avatar The Last Airbender. Awesome. And um, kind of what I'm going to go through is kind of just go through these pretty quickly, but I want to know what you guys feel is your most underrated episodes as well, and just kind of use this article more as a springboard uh, for discussion. So number 10 is The Runaway. Um, the Runaway was that weird episode in, in Season 3 uh, where... They try to trick you into thinking Katara <laughs> betrayed Toph, oh, and is, um, yeah. somehow we were supposed to believe that. Um, honestly, it's it's not my favorite, but um, what do you guys feel about The Runaway? Some positives about it. I was not able to watch... Uh, well, I, I've seen Avatar all the way through on the first few, sure. but I haven't been able to rewatch it all the way through for this uh, episode. I only uh, watched the episodes that were relevant for the main discussion, so I don't remember the Runaway sure. super well. I mean, when you mention it, it sounds familiar, so I 
maybe mm-hmm. I should not comment on that one or watch it again. No, I mean, point. honestly, that that's saying something about the, sh- the episode. Yeah. But I want to be positive. I want to be positive. Yeah. <laughs> I really like The Runaway because it adds a fun dimension to Katara because we often see her as the mom figure because she is the mom in her family, right? Her mom is gone. And so she's the caretaker. She's the one who's the healer and making sure that, you know, the essential things are getting done. Like we see in the episode where they're uh, running away in Oppa's shedding. And so um, Azula can track them and follow them. And I like that we get to see Katara saying, you know what, I'm gonna put that to the side. I wanna pull a scam with you. And I I think it's a pretty solid episode. I mean, the the payoff is on the little teaser at the beginning is definitely goofy and it's kind of like oh okay well that's kind of lame that it's all part of this big scam but i think that it adds more three-dimensionality to katara's character yeah uh cory what do you how do you feel about uh for me i love any time we get to see the toff and katara interactions because when toff first joins the show they're very much you know butting heads because of the different uh stances on their personality and you know who who's allowed to do what work or who's not pulling their weight. So I always love uh, interactions between those two. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so uh, I, I like The Runaway. I actually think that the uh, the moment with the Combustion Man, mm-hmm. you know, showing up and being all big and scary is uh, is uh, fun. Um, yeah, you know, it's a great, it's a great episode. Uh, I'm going to skip ahead to number eight, the Warriors of Kiyoshi. Now, maybe this is a hot take. I didn't think that this was an underrated episode. I thought it was a perfectly rated episode, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Um, I think it's a great episode that, like, introduces um, so many different concepts. It, 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 you know, quote-unquote cures Asaka of his um, his, uh, uh, sexism. Yeah, exactly, and uh, um, has great action, great character moments. Has lots of stuff with Zuko, or um, well, Zuko and Katara and Aang. Um, but you know, I, I, how do you guys feel? I mean, is that an underrated episode? I don't think so. Yeah, I think that when it comes yeah. to it, did they give it, a reason? Yeah, it's the IMDb oh, yeah. rating that means oh. that it's underrated. And and I would agree that having it an 8.2 on IMBD, I'm not really sure how they calculate their ratings is the other thing, too. Like, is it based on, you know, initial viewership when the episode first aired? Like, is it based on how critics rate the episode? I'm not sure. Um, I can tell you. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I am, I'd love to hear so really? it. The way IMDb works is that anyone with an IMDb count, account can post a score from 1 to 10. Mm-hmm. So it's really just anyone with an IMDb account. I mean, you can break down the demographics of age and gender, but other than that, it's just anyone who has an IMDb account can give it a score from 1 to 10. Interesting. Hmm. So the fans have decided that the words of Kiyoshi is good. I mean, 8.2 is That's really good. good. Yeah. Let's Let's... let's yeah, but, you know. Um, okay, so uh, I'm going to go down here. This one, to me, is... Yeah, I'm getting negative again. i got to stop. But uh, number six is The Cave of Two Lovers, which I love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a good episode. I love that episode. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Jeff, what do you feel about this episode? 
Well, it was the one where they were trying to get through the side of the mountain, right? Mm -hmm. The mountain was right. in the way. They went through, and there were a bunch of creatures, and uh, some of the group got separated, right? Mm -hmm. Right, and they had the uh, secret they tunnel. They had the uh, the weird the weird like hippie band following <laughs> yeah, them yeah. and being with like helping them through. Yeah, the minstrels. Um, right, right. I, I feel like this episode is just really. Um, it's like a classic, you know? Oh yeah. yeah. There's a thing they have to get through. They meet this wacky group, the Fire Nation trapped them, and they have to figure things out. And not necessarily with bending. And if I um, and if I recall correctly, it's a very powerful um Katara and Ain moment. Yeah. Right. There are some yes. mm -hmm. yes. building on their relationship. Right. That's I would say that that is probably the biggest single moment of their relationship. Mm -hmm. Um and uh, you know, a lot of people misunderstand that whole moment where they're they're about to kiss in the dark. They actually never do, mm -hmm. believe it or mm -hmm. not. They never do. Um, but a lot of people, including myself when I was younger, misunderstood that moment. But um, Corey, uh, how do you feel about the Cave of Two Lovers? Uh, you know, that was an episode that when I first saw the show, I thought it was kind of a filler episode. But since then, I've definitely kind of come back. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, I definitely come back and I, I really like um, definitely the Aang and Katara moments. Um, but also, uh, it's just interesting to me to see the different types of people in the Avatar universe. So, like in this case, we get, you know, the, the hippy-dippy <laughs> people just thinking about love. But... I mean, at the at the heart of the show, that's that's the important thing is Aang and Zuko um, trying to bring love and caring back into the world rather than the yeah. war that's you know taken the last hundred years. Yeah. Yeah, and um, one of my favorite parts actually is the moment where Katara and Aang are reading the legend of mm -hmm. Oma and Shu. Mm-hmm. And the, you have the letterbox go in. You have the, the like, Japanese painting, like, watercolor painting oh, style. So beautiful. And I, I truly think that that is, that is one of, the, like, top five just best moments of the show. Yep. You know, mm -hmm. it doesn't really have anything to do with the plot, mm -hmm. which is why you could call it a filler episode. But I think that really, really builds the world in a very beautiful mm -hmm. way. I also yeah. like any time that we get music from the show... And the, I mean, Secret Tunnel's a banger, don't get me wrong. I love the song Secret <laughs> Tunnel, but I also love just the the music in that episode as well. It's just, it's solid, solid episode. And well, it's funny you mentioned the music, but um, the Cave of Two Lovers theme kind of becomes Aang and Katara's yeah. like, love um, song. And so that motif comes back later and actually becomes... The moment at the very end of the show where Katara and Aang mm -hmm. kiss, they replay the Cave of Two Lovers theme and ends the show. And so, you know, like C Corey mentioned that he felt like it was filler at the time, but I would say the opposite, that it is one of the most important episodes. Yeah. Foreshadowing. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, let's go down here. Um, let's just go to number one. Now, I, I fully agree with, with this, uh, but it's interesting what they say here. So, uh, number one, uh, most underrated episode of Avatar is apparently the waterbending scroll episode. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Jeff, do you even remember this episode? The waterbending what? The waterbending scroll. Oh, no, I... I think I forgot that one. <laughs> well, uh, that that's. I mean, I mean, no, underrated. I, honestly, that 
th- I mean, that tells you uh, mm-hmm. how much most people care about this episode. But <laughs> essentially, it's the episode where Katara first tries to teach Aang how to waterbend, and he just kind of learns it really easily. Um. And um, kind of in her jealousy to, to learn more, she steals a scroll from a bunch of pirates, and chaos ensues. Mm-hmm. Um Personally, what I like about this episode is its comedy. It's very much like a... It kind of feels more like a traditional American animated show where they meet a bunch of villains. And the villains aren't that scary, but they kind of just have a fun little fight and everyone's trying to get the scroll and someone gets it and then someone lets it go and Momo grabs it and they're being chased by the the parrot. Um, Um... but what do you, uh, Emily, feel about uh, the episode and kind of more how it impacts Katara? Mm. Um, definitely as someone, because c- it's her heritage, right? And so I can understand her feeling protective of that heritage, especially because she literally is the only waterbender left of her tribe, right? And so... She wants the learning done the right way. She wants it done. And, you know, also as a teacher, like, I understand that there, when you're learning how to do something, oftentimes there's like a sequence of steps that are important to learn. And if you skip right to the end skill, as you start to do harder things, like you miss out. So like math, for example, if you miss out on some of the theory and lower level math, it makes calculus impossible because you don't understand the theories that have been built upon to make this higher level math possible. And that's not really touched upon in the episode, but that's just like good teaching practices. And so I understand her frustration and I understand her perspective. And I like that Avatar is not willing to make these characters perfect because that makes them more interesting. And she's also like 12, 13, you know, she's, she's trying to prove herself we see an echo of this jealousy and this kind of like well i can do it too when she meets master paku and she's not allowed to learn combat water bending later on in the series as well and i i think that you know character wise she acts very consistently here absolutely um and i think that's probably why the episode is underrated is that a lot of fans view her as you know whatever you call it she's just not likable in this episode um because of her anger towards ang mm-hmm. but like you said i think that's a strong character moment and you have i mean you have to have your characters be unlikable sometimes yep. they can't be perfect yeah um and i would say at least every single character gets that moment uh at some point um cory do you have any other thoughts about the uh water bending scroll and uh, maybe you could even tell us your favorite underrated episode oh man uh I, I don't know if I could I could pick out my own favorite underrated episode, um, but uh, just like on like a on a surface level, uh, one thing I like about the waterbending scroll episode is Iroh is definitely me when I go to like an antique shop because he's walking around <laughs> and he confirm. sees that yes. that ruby monkey statue. He's like, oh, I gotta have this. And then <laughs> I, I can't remember if it's that episode or if it's another episode down the line, but eventually we see it in his room. So it's just like I'm happy for for Iroh. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Character development, right? Um, yeah, does anyone have a favorite, like, underrated episode? Maybe you, you hear it's your favorite, but you don't hear people talking about it too much. Hmm. Jeff, do you have a, do you have a one in mind? Of just Avatar, I'm not 100% certain because I'm not 100% 
attuned to what sure. people in the fan base think. Um, right. I, I, obviously, there are the famous episodes, but those right. wouldn't be underrated, would they? Mm-hmm. Uh, what about uh, Korra? Go ahead and hit me with uh, your favorite underrated Korra episode. Oh, gosh. Hmm. That is going to require some thought. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so... I know Korra alone is kind of basic. Is kind of a sequel to Zuko alone. I mean, there's ob- the obvious parallels beyond the title, but we'll talk about that later in the episode, won't we? Yes, we will indeed. Yes. Um, Emily, do you have a do you have a underrated episode that is your fave? I mean, I think that going off just IMBD ratings, definitely uh, the Kyoshi Warriors because we stand strong women. Yeah. And, you know, the Kyoshi Warriors gives us Suki, who's one of my favorite characters. Um, yes. But I actually, and again, this is because I think I didn't watch Avatar when it was first coming out. I watched it when I was in college. And so I didn't experience the the reruns. And I actually really like... do it. No, seriously, the Great Divide episode is actually pretty no! good. No. <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? I knew it you has, were going this way. It has the they have to solve a problem without bending that occurs in um, the the secret tunnel episode, right? Right. It has the peril and the villain that isn't really all that dangerous but it's and it doesn't show up in a separate episode like you see in the water bending scroll and i i I think that part of the great divide that i like so much is it kind of gives me hope you see that that people are really divided right now and across ideologies and i think that the great divide is a great example i mean granted ang lies to them about what happened (laughs) but oh that's the best solution right but (laughs) you know it does give us hope that people can overcome their differences and eventually come together and solve problems because really that is you know especially in our our modern day we have lots of problems to solve and the only way that we're going to solve those problems is by working together. You know, you said that very well, and I would clap for you, but <laughs> it's still the Great Divide. <laughs> and I, I still think it's it's probably the worst episode, but that makes it underrated. Yeah. It, you, you know, I, um, there you go. Not the most underrated. Um... It's really funny because uh, one of the direct the director on that episode, Giancarlo Volpe, mm-hmm. uh, he went on to do uh, the Green Lantern animated series, and he worked on the Dragon Prince mm-hmm. and Star Wars, uh, the Clone Wars, I believe. Um, he's on Twitter, and it's really funny to see you know people talk about how that episode is really bad, and he he, he kind of in a joking way is ashamed of that episode, <laughs> but he. Uh, he always he always takes the criticism in stride. It's really fun to see. Yeah. Um, but uh, with that, uh, let's go to a quick news update. Um, we kind of have some cool news today. I'm I'm pretty excited. Uh, this is kind of why I like doing the news because um, we get stuff like this. So the biggest uh, headline for this episode is the official Avatar slash Korra tabletop game was announced awesome. a few days ago. So cool. Right. Right. Right? So, uh, you know, in case no one here or anyone listening hasn't heard of this, I'm going to read you the press release uh, by Magpie Games, the one developing it. Um, So this is what they say. 
This role-playing game is a unique opportunity for fans of the show to return to a beloved setting, this time as heroes of the story. Rising to meet their destiny, players will make characters using playbooks, which are templates that help players build and play compelling protagonists in the world of Avatar and Korra. Together they might protect local merchants from the triple threat triad in Republic City, travel through a spirit portal to rescue a child taking, taken into the spirit world, negotiate peace between feuding communities within the Earth Kingdom, or pursue mysteries and villains that arise throughout their adventures. Cool. So I think uh, this is a pretty exciting thing. Oh, yeah. uh, a few little um, little factoids before we get into discussion here. This uh, core book releases in February of next year. So a bit of a wait, um, but I think the ink must have just dried on this deal before they announced it. Um, The uh, supplement that gets revealed, or get, I'm sorry, the first supplement called Republic City will come out of August of next year with the second supplement titled The Spirit World coming out February of 2023. So a bit of a wait, a bit of a wait. And uh, just so everyone knows, um, Magpie Games uh, created a particular style of tabletop called Powered by the Apocalypse. Um, with a, it's a it's supposed to be simpler than traditional uh, D twenty D and D. It has a more focus on storytelling and role playing rather than dice rolls. Mm-hmm. Um, and their main game that popularized this style is called masks which is a superhero based game Hmm. so i can imagine that if you've played that um it'll be pretty similar just delete superhero and put bender um so yeah i'm pretty excited so uh what does everyone feel about that go ahead and just you know um you know kind of tell me how you feel about this awesome avatar game i'm excited because i love DD. i have this let's see if i can get in a frame here a giant d20 right here on my desk (laughs) <laughs> awesome other dice. Perfect. I know they're not going to be using the D20 system, as you said, but uh, I do like TTRPGs. And it'll be interesting to awesome. see, like, um, I guess whatever element you choose as a bender or non-bender, maybe. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Whatever element you choose is going to be kind of like your class in D&D and mm-hmm. your race right. in D&D. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how that turns out in gameplay. I, I'm kind of interested to see if there's a way to kind of randomize it, because um, mm-hmm. what I've always liked, um, like, I don't know, maybe there. I would love to the, for there to be an option. Yes, I know they said that there's no dice or there's less dice, but um, it would be nice to add a little bit of randomness in there just mm-hmm. to dictate whether or not you're a bender or not, and depending on which um, uh, nation you're from, mm-hmm. the the chance of you being a bender goes up or down mm-hmm. um, would be kind of cool. But um, uh, Corey, how do you feel about this great news? Um, so I've actually never played any sort of like D and D type game, um, so I'm really excited. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> I'm really excited uh, to try okay. to, to to dip into that world. <laughs> okay. Um, so do you have like? Experience with uh, with uh, improv or storytelling or anything? <laughs> oh yeah, um, I forget the name of it, but there's a card game where all the cards are like fairy tale tropes, and you basically just start telling a story. And if someone, if you like, say, uh, then they went to the inn. If someone has the card that says the inn, they can slam it down and start telling the story from there. And so that one's definitely 
about mm. you know improv and and coming off mm -hmm. the top of your head so <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because uh, in a minute I'll get to the next uh, next piece of news, which is very similar yeah. to what you just described. But uh, Emily, um, I know you have some feelings Oof. about this. Uh, how do you how do you feel? I love any kind of role playing game because I I feel like I like to be creative. I like to come up with things like that. But I feel like I need just a little bit of help, and so like D and D is perfect for that. Um, I, you know, maybe it'll be a little bit like um, Fiasco, which is one of my favorite improv games that <laughs> we, we've played together, I know, and that's great fun. And so, you know, I think right. that there's a lot right. of possibilities and, you know, knowing that it's a little bit less dice based, I don't think is a bad thing. Um, I've played lots of like one shot, um, uh, not true D&D, &D, but lots of one shot role playing things like... Um, I don't remember the name of the guy who who develops these one shots, but like Honey Heist, for example, you are bears that are trying to f get this honey from um, these bad guys. And really, the only rules you make are: are you going to be if you do something that means that uh, you if you're acting more like a human than you are a bear, you roll, and if you get a certain you know dice roll, you get a criminal point. And if you reach a certain number of criminal points, you betray everybody and because you're a criminal. Wow. And if you get do something that's more bear-like and you get more bear points, then you just turn into a bear and you like start rampaging like a bear. You know, so like there's I can okay. definitely see how from a lower dice roll point of view it could work. So Sure. Sure. Um, it'd be really cool to see just maybe when they... I, I'm sure that what they ha they haven't even developed the oh, yeah. main mechanics yet. Um, it would be cool for them to maybe tell us how it works eventually. Yeah, um, yeah with that, uh, I think we can all say here that that's an awesome uh, piece of news. And, you know, maybe this will pave the way maybe for a video game that isn't garbage. That would be great. <laughs> oh, that's right. Because, the music for uh, a game. Yes, by Platinum Games, which is more like a, like a, not a hack and slash, but a button brawl. masher, you could call it. Yeah, brawler. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, but that was actually uh, delisted a couple years ago, and you can't buy it anymore. Really? Oh, wow. I think it was on yeah. Steam for a while, but maybe not. Hmm. Yeah. It was, uh, it was delisted. Wow. Um, luckily, I bought it on my PS4, and I still have it, but um, you can't get it anymore. Um, and then there's like a lot of really bad like avatar games on the ps2 and the gamecube um <laughs> i think there's three there's also um, a they're not great there's also a nintendo ds game oh huh. yes huh. yes yes i'm like uh, this there's a lot of games to buying it and playing it <laughs> just for the <laughs> yeah the, there's a lot of a lot of video games and none of them are that great um yeah. actually fun fact do you know that there was an mmo avatar mmo in the, like 2006 Hmm. Yeah. Huh. It was browser based. Um, it was on the nick.com website. You could create a character, um, create a bender, and then kind of just go through the world like like World of Warcraft. Um, mm -hmm. And that's all I remember of that. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> it closed down a couple of months later, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, with that, uh, next news piece is. It's different. It's called. It's a board game similar to these tabletop games, but it's called <coughs> Uncle Iroh's Dream. Um, <laughs> it's exclusive to Box Lunch. Um, not much is known about it. No one else has reviewed it. No one has played it. Uh, but I bought it as soon as I saw it. Just so you know, maybe next time 
we record, I can maybe talk a little bit about it. But this is all we know from Box Lunch. In Uncle Iroh's dream, follow the wise firebender's sage advice and craft your own cartoon stories using characters, locations, events, and animals with special item cards. Save your favorite written stories as mementos and use the white lotus tile, avatar state, and appa tokens to make your story unique. Mm. Sounds pretty similar to what Corey was talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sounds fun. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, they say that you can complete a story in about 15 minutes. So I would, you know, there's not much here. I would like to know more. But um, does anyone have any hot takes about this at all? Maybe hopes? Well, creativity is something I value very much. I haven't played a whole lot of that kind of uh, board game. But as a, someone who studied screenwriting, I always appreciate the cre- any time... Someone finds a creative way to bring out creativity in mm-hmm. people who might not otherwise be creatively minded. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Sure. I mean, this might be a good way for. I mean, for any beginning writers out there, this might be a good way to even just get started in yeah. some like fan fiction. Yeah, I was thinking oh, yeah. that. Like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Especially with each game taking about fifteen minutes. I mean, that's a little bit shorter than the average episode, but that's very manageable for most people. And the fact that it's like Uncle Iroh's dream implies to me that it is going to be kind of like alternate history of Avatar. And it's explained away by saying, it's all a dream, it doesn't really matter, but have fun. Play in the world, do what you want, and, you know, write some, it's, it's fan fiction the game. But that is 100% yes. a good thing. Yes! <laughs> 100% a good yeah. thing. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good way to put it, I didn't think about that. Um, yeah, so uh, finally, our final piece of news is going to be uh, taken over by Emily this week. Um, go ahead and just tell us uh, what's been going on. Okay, so um, I took one for the team. And uh, so as some of you may know, Dante Bosco and some of his friends have a Twitch channel. And they do things like uh, they Who watched, is Dante Bosco? Oh, Dante Bosco is the voice of Zuko in the original series. He also plays is it General Iroh. That's the grandson. Yeah. 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 And so he's also in Korra, which is awesome. Um, he is a huge part of the Avatar universe and the Avatar family, and it's very dear to his heart. And on his Twitch channel, you can watch him and his friends rewatch um, the entire Avatar series, I believe. And then they're watching Korra right now, which is kind of fun. And so um, Friday, however, uh, the February 5th, they watched the Avatar The Last Airbender movie, which is, you know, I haven't seen it in a long time, and I was just like, ah, I'll take one for the team and I'll watch it and, you know, have some, have an adult beverage on the side. And it was really fun because I got to hear a little bit about, like, what Dante's uh, views were about the um, live-action movie and also, like, his hopes and also kind of um, his feelings about the live-action show that may or may not be coming out, as we talked about before. Um, and I think that this is really important, especially to our, uh, episode where we talk about toxic fandoms. Dante Bosco was very, very complimentary towards the actors because, I mean, I, and I think that part of the reason why is that he is an actor himself. He was also a child actor and he understands how hard it can be to be put in that spotlight. And I really do respect him a lot for that. I mean, those, the children that were part of that movie, I don't, in, I don't think they probably had a lot to say 
as far as the decision-making process and the story choices and things like that. And I thought it was, I, I thought it was really good of him and to to be very complimentary towards those actors. And he was like, you know, we're not here to bash the actors at all. Like I loved it, Dev Patel and stuff like that. Um, they were very complimentary also towards the costumes, which I agree with. I thought the costumes were cool. Um, but you know, every time that someone uh, took too long to bend an element, you know, you took a drink. Every time Katara monologues, you take a drink, you know, for the, the <laughs> drinking game. Um, and then as far as his thoughts about the live action uh, series that is on Netflix, supposedly, um, he said a lot of the same things that we were saying, that some of the things that you can do in comics and animation are gonna be different and look different and they may not work in live action. They look silly, they look weird. Um, and he brought up the fact that Spider-Verse is the best Spider-Man movie and it is animated, right? And and I think mm -hmm. that all of us can mm -hmm. agree. I think, Corey, you've seen Spider-Verse how many times? Yeah. <laughs> and I think I've seen it, tw I saw it twice in theaters, right? And so, and, and I've seen it a couple times after that, you know, and, and the other Spider-Man movies don't have that kind of watchability. And it's okay if something makes more sense to be animated versus live action. One medium is not better than the other. They do different things. Um, and the other point that he brought up that I really liked is that you shouldn't do a remake of something unless you're adding something new or telling it in a different way. And one of the things that they brought up where they talked about uh, the live action Beauty and the Beast and the live, ac the live action uh, Lion King that just came out. <laughs> Those are basically like shot for shot remakes of the original animation. And you, you might watch them once, but they don't have their, you might as well just watch the original animation that you know and love in regards to those. So like, why would you pay the 15 bucks to sit in a movie theater and watch it? Stuff like that. And I thought right. that that was a, a really good point is like, don't, if, unless you're going to tell the story in a different way, or unless you're going to tell a different story, why, why do the exact same thing? Yeah, Absolutely. I feel the same. Uh, yeah. I feel the same way. Um, I also, I think animation is just, just often gets sidelined a lot. As a storytelling device because if you look at what Netflix is trying to do with other animated shows like Cowboy Bebop, what they did with Death Note oh. and stuff like that you can see that it's almost as if they think that people aren't willing to watch something that's animated mm -hmm. even though I mean people love Cowboy Bebop, Avatar stuff like that and it's just it, honestly, I, I it's considered a different genre usually, but I consider a different tool set. Exactly. Yeah. Rather than a different genre, yeah. because you can tell so. And you know, it's funny. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Because you can tell so many different stories in the animation, and uh, in America, I know it's often considered a kids' thing. Although there are exceptions to that, but in other cultures and other countries, that's not the case. Mm -hmm. Especially in Japan. I mean, how many mature animes have you seen that would never be considered kid-friendly here? Like Cowboy right. Bebop. Mm -hmm. So, right. it's just... It's a little frustrating to me. Sure. That sure. so many um, people are going to dismiss it because it's animated. And so they feel the need to remake it. 
in whatever form. You know, what's, what's crazy, though, and what's mind-blowing to me is that the creators of the show, when they, were, when they announced the movie, they themselves said, and we covered this in an earlier episode, um, but they themselves said that they wanted it to be as cinematic as possible, like they always dreamed, mm. as if the animated show wasn't what they dreamed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've talked about it, but um, yeah, that's that's just kind of how that's just a weird sentiment in the United States, even apparently with the creators of the show. So maybe they yeah. were forced to say that. I don't know, but it does seem weird that people who have made animation all their lives would say something yeah. about animation like that. And um, I will say it. It's not just animation versus live action movies. You also see that when you compare books versus graphic novels um people commonly think of graphic novels as something for kids and they're a genre no they are 100 percent just a different storytelling device sure absolutely mm-hmm. um yeah well uh, does anyone have any other thoughts because uh we got a big old juicy episode today i know it's gonna be a long yes. one um yeah so cory did you have any other things you wanted to say nope I'm ready to to move to the next thing. Excellent. So um, today, uh, this I say this every week, but this is the meat of the podcast. <laughs> uh, today we're talking about the uh, representation of uh, various disabilities in Avatar and the Legend of Korra, and kind of what I want to go through is individual characters, and then at the end maybe try to cover in some holes that we didn't go through. Um, mm. But the most important thing first is just a disclaimer that, um, you know, we all uh, in some ways have disabilities that might be invisible or um, obvious from the get-go. And, you know, we, you know, obviously none of us are blind uh, in the case of talking about TOF, but, um, you know, we want to be as respectful as possible with everything and um you know in various discussions that might arise from people watching this episode uh try to just try to be respectful of mm-hmm. uh people's disabilities that may or may not be uh invisible to you so um with that does anyone want to say anything before we get started with uh with the first uh topic hmm. feel free to disagree with us in the comments or send yes. us feedback because yes. i know that i am always learning especially about different kinds of disability and I welcome more education. <laughs> Good. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so uh, this first one is gonna kind of obvious. Uh, we're talking about Toph's blindness and the reason I chose her first is that she's kind of the most obvious um, disability and kind of the biggest character in the original show. Um, and I just kind of wanted to start out talking about um, the episode that she was introduced in called mm-hmm. The Blind Bandit. Mm-hmm. And um, if you remember, in that episode, she was introduced as a blind kind of wrestler, basically, uh, hiding this from her parents um, who view her as a helpless, fragile little girl mm-hmm. who they don't let her do anything. She can't yeah. leave the house. Um, she has helpers to do literally anything possible. Um, and she rebels against this to become mm-hmm. her own person. And um, I kind of just wanted to start out with the floor here and 
how do how do people feel about her representation um, in the show? I think it's great. I mean, I can't speak for blind people, but or people with blindness, but I can say that to see someone, a character who, in their own world, with their own family, is 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 looked at in a condescending manner, and yet still manages to be this incredible, this um, nuanced. Um, tough um, I'm uh, lost for words sorry um, but I mean we've seen it we know what Toph is, who Toph is we're all members mm-hmm. of her Melon Lord fan club right? <laughs> <laughs> yes right? exactly exactly. So, yes um, but I want to showcase that she's not perfect mm-hmm. in, in terms of character um, traits she is a little hot headed quite a bit hot-headed and also she is not always the best teacher for Ayn. In that mm-hmm. episode where Sokka falls in the um, hole <laughs> while he's hunting, right. um, Toph had to take Katara's advice mm-hmm. in order to teach Ayn how to earthbend. And to me, the fact that the creators of the show in the writer's room was willing to make Toph give her this vulnerability, mm-hmm. this mark of imperfection that has nothing to do with her disability so it's not demeaning in that regard mm-hmm. but also just allow her to be a character rather than I hate to say the term Mary Sue but yeah. that could have been what she could have been You don't. You, we don't know or even just a token a token blind character yeah, yeah that's true Who? right right um, yeah that's a, it's an extremely good point that that she has weaknesses, she has mm-hmm. vulnerabilities, and you know there are a few moments where her blindness does become a vulnerability. Um, one example is in the desert uh, yep. when the sandbenders take Appa. Um, it is a weakness, um, mm-hmm. and you know uh, Aang does get angry at her for letting them go, but he never makes it about her blindness, yeah. um, even if it was you know something to do with it. Um, the the showrunners are not afraid to uh, make her a well-rounded character, and yeah. I think a lot of a lot of um, shows, especially children's shows, are afraid to go a little further. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it it, it is a testament to the writing. Um, but uh, Emily, how do you feel about uh, Toph and kind of what we were just talking about? I I agree with what you just said. I I like Jeff that you said that the weaknesses and the vulnerabilities that she have were not about her disability and I thought that that was really important to acknowledge because as I was kind of trying to like figure out what my feelings about the representation were like that was one of the things that I was thinking about it's like you know you shouldn't portray people with disabilities in media as perfect but then at the same time you know you don't want to patronize them either you know and I think that you you put it really well when you said that she has vulnerabilities, but they're not about her disability. Although I should point out that when she and Katara butt heads at times, Katara is not afraid to make a blind joke. Although... Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I kind of wanted to... I, we, we're kind of jumping ahead, but I do want to talk about that. Um, mm-hmm. So, ignoring when she's... when she Because we'll get to that, but... Um, when they make blind jokes that are more cordial and 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 more and less at her expense and more mm-hmm. just ah she can't see you know how do you feel 
How does how does the panel feel about these jokes when they're more positive? Can you give an example of sure? Such a joke? Uh, so when yeah, so when um, they're on Appa looking for the desert, uh, looking for the library, um, she's like, "There it is. This is what it would be like if you actually saw it." And then she does this, <laughs> or. Yeah. Um, uh, they're putting up posters looking yeah. for Appa and she puts it upside down or they forget that she's blind so they write a they write a letter that they claim is from Toph to Katara yeah and um, you know stuff like that um, do we think that's good do we think that's negative um, how do we feel about that I, I don't have an issue with it myself. Again, I am not blind in any way, mm-hmm. so I cannot comment with 100% integrity, I don't think. Mm-hmm. But what I can say is that, at least in the case of her, of when they're flying on Appa, it's her making the joke. Yeah. Sure. And it, but it is a joke written by yeah. someone I assume yeah. can see. Yeah, Michael I mean, and Brian, I, I assume, in their right. writer's room. Yeah, I think that from what I understand, and again, what my experiences are with people with disabilities is not indicative of the feelings and the experiences of everyone in those communities. Um, But a lot of the people that I'm friends with who have disabilities will, will make playful jokes at their own expense, you know, and then the people who are close to them will make jokes as well. Uh, One of, one of my, um, friends for example you know cut off uh one of his fingers you know when he was woodworking one time he's like well at least it didn't cost me an arm and a leg you know it was it was an expensive wood piece but it didn't cost me an arm and a leg so that's okay you know and and (sighs) those kind of like self-deprecating jokes um i think are very common um you also i can't remember his name but there's a there's a comedian who has one leg and he will do like Halloween costumes that are kind of like tongue in cheek, mm. um, you know, right. puns or funny costumes. Like he, he'll do a flamingo or uh, he dressed up as an IHOP sign one time and things like that. And so mm. okay. I, <laughs> and I, and I, you know, with anything, there's, there's a certain amount of humor that goes along with it. And I, you know, I, I, I think that that goes along with it, is that there's a humor in um, some of the experiences that you have. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, going off of that, I do have a quote from someone um, who says, excuse me, uh, I'm deaf and seeing a character that constantly makes jokes about her disability not being shown as helpless and is actually a main character did wonders for my self-esteem regarding my own disability mm-hmm. as a kid. So it is good to see that that Toph is a positive force of good um, in the community. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I mean, this person is also, you know, uh, People with uh, a visual impairment, they're not um, a monolith, so people can disagree, of mm-hmm. course. But um, one thing that I do like, and it, someone mentioned this, and I kind of thought about it, she was not the victim of an accident. Yep. She's not Daredevil. She's no. not Daredevil. She didn't have it and got stuff in her eyes and then lost it. She was born with it. Yeah. So it's not this big moment where oh no she lost something i can't believe she lost something that's so sad it was something she's born with yep it's a fact of her life she has you know she's obviously accepted it um and it's not something that 
gets fixed with her um, abilities. She's obviously very skilled, but like we mentioned before, it is not something like Daredevil where Mm -hmm. essentially he can see. Mm -hmm. Like, he can do everything a a person who can see can. Um, She's still, like, they throw the the, um, championship belt down to her because they forget that she can't see, and it, like, hits her in the head. You know, they, they... you know, th- there are moments where her friends forget she can see. They don't even they don't even really talk about it. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I personally think that's pretty great that she's not just um, she's not just a person who can see in practice. Yeah. yeah. Although I should note that she can kind of see when her feet are on the ground mm-hmm. because of her um, seismic right. sense. Mm-hmm. So it's not that right. she can, s- but she can't literally see. Mm-hmm. It's just a way right. that she found to cope. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And to yeah. um, function in life. And I think that is also a very positive thing to represent. Yeah. Also, Absolutely. Katara, being a healer, never offers to try and heal uh, Toph. Mm-hmm. And yes, we will be getting into that later yes. with uh, a certain a certain uh, angry prince. <laughs> um, <laughs> Corey, um... Are the jokes okay? I mean, I think there is definitely that gray area, but like Emily said, um, you get those comedians where they try to frame it in a positive light. Because I feel like for a lot yeah. of people, when they see someone with a disability, there's always that that moment of like, okay, how am I supposed to react to this person? Um, I think a really yeah. common one is like, if someone's in a wheelchair, um, do I open the door for this person? Or like, how are they going to react positively or negatively? So I think when you bring the jokes into the show, it kind of breaks down that first barrier of like, how to, you know, open that conversation with the person. Like, how, how, how do you want me to, to act so that you feel comfortable? I, I don't know. Sure. Is that, is that tracking? Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. Um, however, we get characters like Katara who I think this is the only time this happens. And Jeff, you bringing that up was a good point because I, to be honest, completely forgot about it. Um, she does, uh, you know, it's not even a joke. It's a mean-spirited comment uh, when they're having an argument. Um, is this portrayed in a negative light? And do we feel that Katara um, wasn't rewarded for this conversation? Or for I don't this, think this she comment? was rewarded because mm-hmm. I remember, the one I remember... Is her is there trying to sleep at night? And Katara says the stars are so beautiful. Too bad you can't see them. Toph, Toph is like bra seriously, and launches <laughs> right, her into right. the air on the Sokka. Mm-hmm. So I right, think right. I think because they showed the consequences and mm-hmm. how it made to Toph feel, mm-hmm. that makes it moral to me. Yeah. Okay. Anyone else have thoughts about that? I I just agree. Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect. Next uh, character we're talking about is Zuko. And um, I'm more kind of interested because I I originally wanted to talk about his kind of PTSD. But thinking about it, I think it's also value to talk about his disfigurement, Mm -hmm. which obviously would be his scar. Um, Something that I, I was doing a lot of research trying to figure out how people feel about it. And something that was interesting and so, some things I want to mention is, um, for the most part, we have people who, we have Zhao, who mentions the scar, but in, correct me if I'm wrong, 
there isn't a single person who makes fun of him for it. Like I don't remember like, anyone doing that. The only thing I can right, think of like, is when Azula meets Angel yeah, I was first say, time. Azula. And she's and she's like, Oh, do you recognize me? And Aang's like, What? Oh, and she's sure. like, I must capture the Avatar to regain my honor. And then that's when it, I mean Sure. That that but Azula's also a dick, so But it's not really making fun of no. the scar, but just it's using it as like this is what he looks like and yeah. I can see what you're saying. Um That's the closest but no one ever, it comes like, to a joke though. Right, right. No one ever has a name for him. You mm-hmm. know? No. Like they never they never say this or they never do that. Um I think Scarface was probably copyright, um, so <laughs> Yeah, right. Um but what what is interesting about Zuko is that he does start out with the trope of he's the disabled villain, he's the scary, disfigured villain. He's the Bond who, villain. Yeah. yeah. Right, right, right. Exactly. Um, and he does start out this way, but I think that's intentional. Mm-hmm. Because you find out very quickly, even with the third episode, when him and Zhao have that Agni Kai, that he's he's not defined by this physical characteristic. And obviously by the end of season one, he has grown way beyond that. Mm -hmm. Um, It is still something that impacts him. You know, it's essentially a representation of his lack of honor in his eyes. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, what I think is interesting is that he is more than just a scary looking character. He's the best written character on the show, for God's sake. um, how do we feel about? I mean, obviously, I, I feel like I'm going to be pre- pre- preaching to the choir here with Zuko. Mm. But um, how do we feel about uh, his scar? Is it is it is it okay? So for me, a lot of and and to preface this, I have done some research on the history of representation of disabilities because I did a, a separate podcast about this. Um, but really, once you So in our actual world, you start to see a difference in how disabilities are treated and how they're viewed once you hit around World War I, World War II, because literally everyone is at war. And so um, a lot of disabilities were seen not necessarily as, oh, you know, you were not careful in the factory and now you can't contribute to society. They were more seen as a badge of honor because like, look what you sacrificed for your country. Um, and we see in later episodes when Zuko's on the run that people see his disability as a badge of honor mm. instead of a badge of dishonor from the Agni Kai with his father because they are like, oh, you know, you went up against a firebender and you survived. And to me, it's very huh. realistic in how disabilities are represented and how we have changed to view disabilities in our world. And... Um, I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it it tracks. It makes sense uh, realistically. Yeah. I agree. My point was um, actually that it's a, it's a symbolic nature mm-hmm. of how right. the scar was given to him by his father. is not right. just a reminder of how evil his father is, how evil Azula is. It's a testament to what he had to go through growing up. And, and I mean, it, it also just represents the Fire Nation's evil as well. Mm-hmm. That Zuko's mm-hmm. not the only one that this has happened to. We've seen in the show yeah. that that the Fire Nation, like the nature of their power, is very damaging 
um, mm -hmm. to to families, to people, to to bodies, um, and so he's less like his 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 family than he thinks. Um, mm -hmm. But what's what's great about his family, and we're not talking about his biological family, we're talking about the Avatar Team Avatar mm -hmm. uh, family, that they accept him, that mm -hmm. they. It wasn't that they didn't accept him for his disfigurement. They weren't accepting him because he was a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, uh, and that once they accept him, like, his scar is never mentioned. It's never like a mm -hmm. thing. Heck, even when, even in in episode the season two finale, when they're talking and Katara says, "I only imagined your face as the enemy," and he's like, "I see my face," and he touches his scar. She she hates him. And she still backtracks. She's like, no, I didn't mean that. I just meant the fact that you're a firebender, that you are representation, you are a representation of the people that killed my mom. Um, that essentially, like, after, I mean, ignoring, like, Azula and Ozai, his scar is never really a part of him, despite mm -hmm. what he believes. Yeah. That really, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Corey, I want to know how you feel about this. Yeah, one uh, thing that I never really thought about. Uh, go ahead. Um, I was uh, so. I, I think it's really important to talk about Zuko in a relation to Star Wars. <laughs> and what I mean by that is okay. Zuko uh, never covers it up. Um, you know, mm -hmm. as a royal, he would be yes. more than in his right to have some sort of ornate mask put over his face. But the only time he ever wears a mask is for function. So, like, the Boiling Rock, when he, like, literally has to make sure no one can identify him. Or when he's the Blue Spirit, when he has to throw the, the firebenders off, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, off of his trail. Like, I think it's really important that Zuko chooses to just have it publicly out in the open and visible to everyone. That's a very good point. I never actually thought about that. And I, I think that's a good thing on the writers, too, to not yeah. cover it up. Um, he's not Darth Vader. Mm -hmm. He's his own person. Yeah. Um, uh, one thing I wanted to note that uh, I never really thought about, but he is romantically available and romantically mm -hmm. viable in the eyes of various characters. Mm -hmm. He's not seen as this this person that no one can be interested in, mm -hmm. and they when they're interested in him, his his disfigurement's never a factor. Yep. They don't go, oh, I don't know how I feel about him. He has that thing on his face. You know, you have May, who liked him before he was disfigured and liked him the same after. Yep. You have um, Katara, which, you know, debatable whether or not they had a thing, but I think in that season two finale, um, there was a little bit of, of tension there. Um, mm -hmm. And then you have regular Earth Kingdom people who mm -hmm. definitely express an interest in him. You have Jin mm -hmm. in the bo embossing say, and you yep. have Song, who was disfigured as well who mm -hmm. you know you can debate if there was interest there but mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Zuko's like the most available bachelor in Avatar <laughs> other than Sokka and, and other than Sokka but yeah. Sokka's kind of taken halfway through but uh, Zuko like he's an eligible bachelor and, and it's never a big deal yeah. that he has uh, this scar on his face and mm -hmm. I I actually think that that's awesome you know mm -hmm. um Speaking personally, I know that being short is not disfigurement. It is nothing compared to what someone like Z Zuko would or go through. But um, it's nice to see someone who has something that they can't control not be a big deal in the eyes of people that are interested in him. Um, 
uh, yeah, it's it's awesome to see, and uh, I'm glad it's 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 like that. Um, another big uh, person we have to talk about is Korra in the Legend oh, of yeah. Korra, and I know Jeff, you really uh, want to, you're really interested in in this topic, and mm-hmm. I'm going to kind of let you lead the conversation here. But something that is different with Korra compared to everybody else is that she is going through both both physical and mental illness. Um, due to what happened to her at the end of season three. Yes. And it is a journey that we see. Mm-hmm. We see yes. the beginning, middle, and end of her journey. So, uh, Jeff, kind of lead us lead us with this conversation. Well, before we talk about the season three, season four stuff, it's worth noting that in the first season, when she first meets Amon in person, Amon threatens her and knocks her unconscious, and then when she wakes up, she admits to Tenzin that she's afraid. Mm-hmm. This, that was was actually a very powerful part of season one, regardless of, I know people like to hate on that show, but, as a show, but that was a very well-written moment, in my opinion, because Mm -hmm. you have this person who has always been taught uh, to be fearless, admitting that they are afraid, and for anyone who has been through trauma, that is a very difficult thing to do. Now, Absolutely. I getting think, to uh, the stuff we I, say. I, oh yeah. I'm sorry. I just uh, was mentioning that uh, I didn't even think about that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for uh, for talking about it because that is true. That 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 is kind of the first moment of that, mm-hmm. and she's not afraid to to ask for help, which is awesome. Yeah, and then we go to season the end of season three and the beginning of season four, and in particular Cora alone episode, but um. It's worth noting that, um, let me think about this for a second, because Zahir poisoned her with mercury, mm-hmm. which prevented right. her from walking for a while. And he also tried to kill her, which is PTSD trauma. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's also a very strong point of writing for the show, because you have Korra at her lowest in, right. some, in most ways most ways you could look at she is at her lowest at that point which in the structure of a traditional movie or tv show like a storytelling structure that's the all and i don't know how many of you are familiar with save the cat mm-hmm. yes. yes yeah anyone who's been through film school has probably heard of this book but in the book there is a section of the movie summary called all is lost mm-hmm. and neither the lost and what's the other name of the Dark Knight of the Soul. Mm-hmm. All is lost is one moment, and at the very beginning of Dark Knight of the Soul. And the author of this book, Blake Snyder, talks about how there's a whiff of death, mm-hmm. which literally happens at the end of season three. Mm-hmm. And there's also a more figurative whiff of death with Cora wondering if she'll ever regain her bending, if she'll ever walk again. And that was the big strength to me of Cora alone. Mm-hmm. But it also shows that she's, like, once again, like in season one, but much more so, she's scared. She's terrified. She has nightmare, recurring flashback nightmares. Mm-hmm. She um, is constantly chased by that demonic image of herself, mm-hmm. which is not real, but it's a very clever visual way of establishing a, tra- a trauma, mm-hmm. because trauma will follow you, regardless mm-hmm. of where you go. I know this because I've uh, got some 
depression. I've been suffering from depression for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And I was bullied a lot when I was younger. And I can tell you that it, it sticks with you forever. I mean, yes, I have made a lot of strides. People will make strides. But in the show Korra, she it's going to be with her forever. I don't think mm -hmm. she's ever 100% cured of it. It changes mm -hmm. her character in a... It's part of her character growth in the last season. Mm -hmm. Which I think is a very powerful thing for the writers to do. Because mm -hmm. it's very honest. It's very... For, from a character arc perspective, it's very powerful. But... And it's real. It's all very right. real. And the scene also where she's learning to walk. I've seen images of people who have lost like one leg like um, veterans who have lost one leg and they have the prosthetic leg and they're trying to walk those two railing things are very real mm -hmm. in that sort of treatment right people right. who are trying to learn to walk again that's something they actually do mm -hmm. and the show uh, does it very handles it very mm -hmm. well I think in showing her being frustrated and struggling and it just mm -hmm. it's right. raw it's real and I'm Kudos to Mike and Brian for being yeah. that brave to yeah. and Nickelodeon for actually putting that in the show mm -hmm. because that could trigger some people, and it's a kids show. True. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So True. it is very brave on their part. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I think it's. I mean, I think it's great that they didn't just skip over it. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. It was yeah. a whole episode. You know, like right, right, and it, not even just that. I mean. The physical aspect she gets over, you know, she she gets through in Cora alone. But you know, her her PTSD it takes like three fourths of the whole season yeah. mm -hmm. for her to even be okay to yep. essentially do her job. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's not just something that was fixed like that. Um, the, yeah. You know, even when they took the the mercury when she took her own mercury out of her, she still mm -hmm. had problems. It was not yep. a magic bullet yep. that fixed her issues and. That's a testament to real life, yeah. you know. No, we we can't fix our issues immediately. It takes oh, yeah. time, it takes development, it takes mm -hmm. therapy. Of course, you yeah. going to therapy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> everyone um, should go to therapy. But yes, everyone should go to therapy. Please, yeah. everybody. Um, I mean, I talked about this on the pre uh, previous episode too, like and and I don't know if you've seen this, Jeff, but um like I disclosed like I was in a relationship when I was younger that gave me some triggers right and it wasn't until i actually uh i went and volunteered at a women's shelter and it took me until then when like three years later that i realized like oh shit i was in an emotionally abusive relationship that's why i feel uncomfortable in certain situations and you know that's that's what it took for me to realize like oh i have triggers oh these are things i need to work on you know stuff like that and you know i mean it definitely took me a lot longer than it took Cora, but I think that Cora had a lot more realization about, oh, I have stuff that's going on, and it's because of this. It's more of a clear, um, more more of a clear inciting incident, and so I think that she did start to get over her PTSD quickly. But I think it was just easier for her to realize, oh, I've been through something traumatic. So I don't think it's yes. I don't think it's a fault. Yeah, she went through the right. denial stage pretty hard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right, and in, like, years. It was, like, yeah. years, right? It was like, three, three years. straight years of... Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and what's also... Corey, oh, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, um, go ahead. Another go thing ahead. I wanted to point out was that it was Zaheer. She had to go see Zaheer in mm -hmm. order to um, 
help get rid of the trauma of Zaheer trying to kill her. Mm -hmm. I wanted to discuss that because how did people feel about that? I mean, because she, like, here's here's what the show is saying. Then this is a negative for me. Mm-hmm. Essentially, they're saying, hey, if you have trauma, go back to your abuser and have him help you get through it. And mm-hmm. I think that is a big mistake Oof, um, yeah. on the part of the show. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, take that in a real world context. Yeah. Like, should you be telling a rape victim to go to the rapist to talk to them and get them through the, the trauma? I think, I think that I understand the trope of villain helping good guy get through something but it doesn't work if said villain is the reason why they're in the yep. situation that if right. if i mean and, and i'm not trying to rewrite the show but if you were to do the same thing it should have been something that happened to her by another villain by kavira yeah. or someone else you know yeah. that it only works it. if he, right right cuz you know they have a they have a shared dislike in kavira to me it makes sense but you literally have Zaheer saying, you know, just let it play out. Just let it play out. And I'm like, you're the one who did it. Why are you, like, to me, it's, I think, a mistake on the part of the writers who, you know, I'm making assumptions here, may never have actually gone through something of this nature mm-hmm. and that they, it wasn't something they thought about. Yeah. Um, but I think the optics of it is not a good thing. And mm-hmm. I will say that as the one mark against Cora that it is essentially her victimizer uh, yeah. who caused her to get over it. Uh, Corey, how do you feel about that? Um, so so I think something really important that Cora discusses with her PTSD is how a lot of people tend to just like self-isolate. So, um, you know, her, her parents, they come to Republic City hoping to see their daughter and everyone's like, well, we thought she was still down there with you guys. Or was it, was she in the Northern Water Tribe at that point? Anyways, um, I think it's it's really important to talk about. A lot of people do tend to close themselves off and not discuss their issues with people, especially the people that can help them the most. Um, So when they when it's uh, Junora Iki and Milo when they finally meet up with her in the swamp with Toph, um, just that instantaneous like morale and just general like boost to her, like she just seems a lot happier when she finally sees them after so long. And to see how you know they've been growing up and developing themselves, so I think it's really important to talk about. It's important to 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 try to communicate with people. And I know that, that it's it's easy just to say, "Oh, you just got to talk to more people," um, but just really opening that dialogue of you know when you do open up to people, it you're yeah. gonna find yourself on the road to recovery a lot faster. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely, absolutely. Um, Emily, how do you feel about? Maybe what Corey said, or even even the portrayal of how she kind of quote unquote got over her yeah. problems with Zaheer. The important thing to acknowledge is that everyone has their own recovery process, and everyone has their sure. own way of processing their trauma. Um, and for me, what what was good for me, and this is just my personal experience. Um, was not, you know, personally going to the person who abused me, but what helped part of my recovery process was taking some of that power back because I felt like I had had power taken from me. Um, And so I actually wrote an email and I said, I don't ever want to hear from you again. 
I don't want to hear excuses, but this is what you did to me. And I use, and I said, you did this, you did this, you did this, and it has affected me in this way. And I want you to know that, that this is how your choices and your behavior impacted me as a human being. I don't want to hear from you. I just want you to know this is what you did. And it doesn't work that way for everybody. I, the trauma that I experience is very different from the, the physical trauma that, you know, a rape victim or an assault victim would face. But for me, that was a really powerful moment because it was taking away the power that his gaslighting had had on me. Sure. Absolutely. Um, in terms of Cora um, kind of going through her journey, um, something that is interesting to note that I was finding out in my, my, my research, mm-hmm. uh, apparently mercury poisoning can cause brain damage. Yep. Yep. So Big time. Um, <laughs> I think that's straight up probably intentional, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and she had a little bit inside of her you know, which was a lot of, honestly. Um, yeah. mm. But um, it's interesting that they, they chose mercury mm-hmm. um, as the, the substance. I think that was a very, very on point decision. I think that was on purpose, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, does anyone have anything else to say about Cora's journey? I kind of, we didn't reach a conclusion here, but I think yeah. we can all agree that for the most part, her journey is uh, uh, very uh, personal and engaging. Is complicated to say the least. Oh, for sure. Yes, yes. Um, and in so terms of represent, um, yeah. Someone was going to say something. Oh I'm yeah, sorry. I was going to say. Um, so so I know it's it's you know it's negative for Cora to have to go back to Zahir, and for Zahir to be the one um, to help her get over the issues that she was having. But I think it was important for Cora to see him being the one shackled up and in chains at that point. Yeah. Yeah. That he, I mean, he he's going to spend the rest of his life down there. Yep. Like he's done, um, and sure he he can go into the spirit world and be a whatever. But he is, like he says, he gained the ability to fly and be free, and is now shackled to the ground for the rest of his life. So, yep. uh, uh, here we we uh, we hate Zahir. <laughs> he's a great villain, but he's a jerk. Oh, yeah. Um some, so I wanted to go through not too much, uh, but we have a couple side characters that um, have their own um, involvement in this subject. Uh, we have Teo from mm-hmm. uh, the Northern Air Temple in the first show. That he, to me, uh, is an example of great uh, representation because yeah. not only is it, did he invent his own wheelchair that is able to glide on the level of an airbender, but his whole community kind of rallied around you know helping him mm-hmm. that 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 you know he lost a lot he lost his ability to walk because of a flood he lost mm-hmm. his mom um but uh it's great to see a community kind of help each other yeah in a positive way mm-hmm. um and that like th- the ability to fly basically um is amazing yeah yeah, yeah. And especially when you consider that in the av- in case of Avatar as a show, that's pre-industrial. Yes. 
They're on the verge of industrialization, as evidenced by Teo's father and the Fire Nation, Mm -hmm. but they haven't reached Korra levels of technology yet. They don't have Mm -hmm. cars. They don't have airships. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, they they have airships, but they're cruder, Mm -hmm. and only the Fire Nation has them. Right. Right. Yeah. So I I think uh, you know he's a he's a very small side character, but it's nice to not just get Toph. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or just Zuko. It's nice to get a world that feels lived in. Of various people of various backgrounds um, mm-hmm. and have it be a positive thing yeah. um, another thing that uh, I wanted to mention is Ming Hua from Korra mm-hmm. who I'm pretty sure if you if you guys don't know uh, she doesn't have arms mm-hmm. but she's the best waterbender pretty much in both series oh um, so good and she's also terrifying but not because of her lack of arms right. um, <laughs> but uh, but uh, what, something that if you guys can help me out, I don't think she's ever, 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 like, like they never mention her disability, ever, mm-hmm. once. I don't think so. I don't remember that. I don't that. think so either. Mm-hmm. Like, I think straight up, it's never mentioned. They don't talk about it. It's never a bad thing. Um, mm-hmm. She has water-bending arms, and that's yeah. just the fact of life. Um, she can drive a car, as evidenced in, um, like, episode four or five of season yep. three. Um and it's not a joke. Uh, it's just kind of she's a great character. Um, yeah, I think I think what is more about like what's more important to her character is that she's kind of she's kind of like she's very terrifying. Let's oh, be honest. Yes, um, but in like a good way. It's good <laughs> that they. Um, it's good that they um, actually think it's kind of good that they uh, had a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Who was treated yeah. much the same way in disability representation as Toph mm-hmm. or Tail, yeah. because that shows that it's how universal it is, but without mm-hmm. demeaning it. it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, um, like with Toph, uh, she was born without her arms. Mm-hmm. So it's not like she's a victim of an accident yeah. and she was disfigured and now she's evil. Yeah, like it's none of none of that. She's not like the Joker or something. So yeah, because um, there is a common yeah. trope that a person becomes evil because of the inciting incident that causes their ability. You know, and and that's right. great that it's not the inciting incident. It's just like no, she's just always, you know, this way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she just has it has a worldview that you know means that you should be killing people yeah <laughs> you know like yeah yeah it has nothing to do with her lack of arms <laughs> um yeah she's a she's a cool character uh and then one thing i wanted to mention and it's going to be kind of hard to talk about this because we haven't gotten to this point in the comics yeah but azula and her severe 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 mental illness um, yeah she essentially has a psychotic break and that's the end of her character in the original show mm-hmm. um how do we, Corey, kind of feel about kind of her descent into madness at the end of the show? I mean, it's it's really important to talk about. Um, uh, uh, I lost my train of thought where I was going. Um, you you see it a lot with any sort of like um, person, like when they achieve that that final goal, they have that moment of realizing this isn't what I wanted like I finally have the thing that I wanted this whole time but now that I have it what now so um, mm-hmm. like if anyone has seen well Shira spoiler alert for the ending of Shira um, when Katra finally reaches that last 
moment where she has everything that she's ever wanted. That's when she looks around and she realizes that, you know, she doesn't have Entrapta, she doesn't have Adora, she doesn't have Scorpia, all the people that she had just been like overlooking now that they were gone she really had nothing and that 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 was kind of like her breaking point for me um mm -hmm. so for azula definitely you know now that she's going to be fire lord what does that mean for her like she's just going to sit on a throne and she's not going to have anything to do so mm -hmm. right I and also, uh something that oh i'm sorry jeff go ahead i was going to say also she feels guilt about what being complacent with what happened to her mother being shipped off. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I remember yep. that scene yep. near the end of the third season where her mother appears to her in a vision. Do you, you guys remember that, of course, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting about that is um, it's kind of even less like. Something that the, the creators have talked about is that um, it was the moment where May says, you know, she loves Zuko more yep. than she fears Azula. That, it, it, like, out of all the things that could have been the final thing that broke her, it was the fact that she couldn't rule by fear anymore. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That the thing that Ozai taught, Ozai taught her at a young age that to be loved was to be feared. Mm -hmm. And that that this is her worldview. This is how yeah. she has acted the entire show. It's how she and got that was the to moment follow her. She, mm -hmm. Right, right, right. Exactly. And it, this is the moment that um, that we re or that she realizes mm -hmm. that doesn't work. Yeah. That, um, you know, she's going to lose everybody and she does. Yeah. The, the thing that I want to bring up um, is that her breakdown in the Agni Kai between her and Zuko is not portrayed as a triumph, which I think is really important. Right. Um, the, the voice actress who voices Azula um, has talked about how she like can't watch that scene with Azula because it is so heartbreaking to watch her have, and, and it's sad, it's really sad there's no triumph, there's no victory. It's just Azula sobbing on the ground. And I think that that's important, is mm -hmm. that really she's not seen as this irredeemable villain like Ozai is. Ozai is an irredeemable person, but I, with Azula, you right. just feel sad that her trauma has caused her to also be an abuser. Sure, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, and the the text supports that. The music yep. is sad. Cor uh, not Cora, uh, Katara, and Zuko both look down, you know, in sadness. They're not smiling, yeah. and that's the end of her. That's the end of her. Um, and I do want to mention that uh, she is in the comics mm -hmm. in various in a, in a big capacity, especially in the search mm -hmm. for Zuko's mom. But um, you know, that maybe is a conversation for next week's yep. episode, yep. where we talk about. Um, the search and okay so now we are at the my favorite part of the podcast which is trivia and we're doing things a little different this week mm -hmm. um, I kind of wanted to give the panel uh, time to try to stump me and make me look uh, like a fool um, and so what we're gonna do is we have two teams like you guys know we have the uh, salamander axolotls, <laughs> which is Emily's team, and we have the wolf marmots, which is Corey's team. 
And what we're going to do is they're each going to ask me a question to stump me, and if they stump me, they get a point. Now mm -hmm. with Jeff, he's not on a team. Yep. He, he's a, he's a guest. So what we're gonna do is when if he when he asks me the question and he stumps me, who does that point go to? And the way we decide that is I'm going to ask Corey and Emily one question, just one, and whoever gets it right or gets it right first gets Jeff's point. So Jeff, you're mm -hmm. gonna be helping them yes. kind of get ahead of the game here. <sighs> so um, I'm excited. Yeah. So uh, we're gonna have Corey go ahead and hit me with your question first. Okay, um, a little nervous because I, <laughs> I couldn't tell Mr. Avatar how how hard this question is gonna be. But uh, Master Piandao from the episode Sokka's Master, who is his character model? Ooh, I know this one. Oh, that's Sifu Kitsu. Ah, dang, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> when you say character yep. model, Sifu Kitsu was. The person so, that his uh, character is designed oh, after. Okay. Yeah. So Sifu Kitsu, in case no one uh, no one knows, is the main guy who essentially designed the the martial art of bending with um, Brian Kenitsko, one of the co-creators of Avatar, and they developed uh, the martial art together um, uh, in the production of both Avatar and Korra. Mm -hmm. He's kind of like the guy, yeah. um, and so he uh, actually was a uh, was a teacher of uh, of Brian Kanitsko before they created Avatar, and he approached uh, Sifu Kitsu with uh, this idea. Mm -hmm. And apparently, he wasn't really into it at first, and it took a lot of prodding. But eventually, he joined, and I think that he's he's literally the reason why I think the show is so big. Oh, yeah. because bending is a lot deeper than just yeah. waving your arms around yeah. and stuff happens. Um, so yeah, we, we thank him for his work on the show. But Corey, you gotta, I'll, I'll, we'll, uh, we'll, have you, uh, we'll have you better look next time, I guess. Um, <laughs> no well, point we'll, for you uh, yet. Well, we'll see, okay. So uh, hopefully, hopefully mine will stump you. Okay, so in the Kyoshi books, Kyoshi Dust Steps, and oh no! This okay. Dust, no, 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 no. It's about it's it's a question from the original series. Okay, trust me on this. Okay. Listen to where it's going. This dust stepping is an homage to a character using a similar but not identical technique in Avatar: The Last Airbender. Which character is it? Oh Jesus! <laughs> oh Jesus! Um. Okay. Okay. Oh. Okay, hold on. Give me like give me like 30 seconds here. Okay. Yeah, no no problem. And after Evan answers, Jeff and Corey feel free to to share your thoughts. Oh my god. I'm going to have to just throw a name out there. Uh shoot. Az Azula. I'm just gonna say Azula. Nope. Okay, Cor uh, Corey and Jeff. What do you What do so you think? Can you Can you say the question one more time? Okay, so in the Kyoshi novels, Kyoshi and her acting troupe Dust Step, which is using small columns of water or earth to basically like walk across um, and like avoid crowds and things like that. And it's an homage to a character using a similar but not identical technique in Avatar The Last Airbender. 
it basically allows them to create tiny little staircases so that they can jump over walls or avoid people who are chasing them. Um, yeah, okay. It's really that's cool. just um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's unique yeah. to the. That, the I mean, that kind of sounds like the uh, the trail guide from the Great Divide, a little bit. Nope. But that doesn't sound right. Um, okay. Can I guess Jeff? Toph? No. It is uh-huh. actually... Ba- and this is this is according to FCE, who wrote the novels. It is an homage to Suki walking across the crowd in the Boiling Rock You're episode. Right. Oh! Dumb. Yes. Oh, I feel stupid now. And the thing is, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I read that dang... I read the same thing. I knew this dang... Ah, oh, oh my god. I was... Ah, you got me. You got me. I, I think well, it, I think it threw me off because she was using people rather than water or earth. I said it was similar but not identical. Right. Yeah. yeah. I was you got me there. You got clear. me there. That's my English teacher question yeah, making yeah, right there. Yeah. Okay, well, there you go. So that's a uh, point for Emily. Crap. All right, so Jeff... <laughs> Hit me so, with your wonderful question. All right. So which actor um, did a voice in one of the two animated shows, but also appeared in the live-action movie? I need a name of the actor. That was in both? Yeah. I need a name. So I'm just going to talk myself through this. Mm-hmm. So um, I know that Seychelles Gabriel was in Korra and she was in the uh, live action movie as Yue. But I got to be honest, I didn't realize that there was also an actor in all three. So well, I'm going to just say Seychelles Gabriel. I didn't right. say all three. Oh, I, th- I, said one, I said the animated. Oh, I'm sorry. And you're right. It is Seychelles Gabriel. Oh, okay. 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 Woo. I got, a, I got I nervous there for a bit. second. Very good. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. You're good. Um, it would have actually been cool to get someone in all three to be like the only person. But um, <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry that I misread your question. And yeah. And it, another thing. Oh, yeah. I was going to yeah. say, uh, is it Grey Delisle who voices Azula? Yeah. Yes. Doesn't she also yeah. voice uh, uh, Ming Wah? Yeah. So it could have oh. been her or. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Doesn't it, it could have been her or Dante Bosco, really. Either one of those yeah, people sure. would have, would have been choices. It, honestly, it would have been nice for the live-action movie to include something like that, but yeah. they clearly didn't care about anything else, so... <laughs> <laughs> I have a second um, question, too. Ooh. Go ahead. Who voiced Katara in Legend of Korra? Not Avatar Last Airbender, but Legend oh. of Korra. Oh, God. Oh, um, I feel like I know, I know this. Who sh- uh, I know who she is. Uh, I actually was looking this up like a week ago. Uh, I think she just died recently. Um, oh. Um, but uh, I don't remember her name. You got me there. Her name is Eva Mary Saint. Mm. And what's interesting is that she was in the Hitchcock film uh, North by Northwest, opposite Cary Grant. Oh, wow. That's right. Oh, cool. That's right. That's, That's cool. right. And uh, she, that was actually her first and only voice acting role, I'm pretty sure. Probably. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So it was really cool. Like Cora and Avatar have a bunch of amazing actors in in them mm-hmm. that uh, that are uh, like, how do they get them? Like, <laughs> how'd you get mm-hmm. J.K. Simmons as Tenzin, guys? Like, right, answer right. me that. I love. How'd, Tenzin. how'd you get Mark Hamill? <laughs> like, like. I mean, Mark come on. Hamill just does a lot of voice acting. I think that he honestly just enjoys it. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, and That's by fair. The, That's and fair. by the way, Eva Mary Saint is still alive. Oh, is she? Okay. Yeah, she's okay. ninety-six. I don't know who I was thinking of then. She's oh. ninety-six. Ninety-six. Nice. Are you serious? Yeah, according to dang, dang. Uh, Google search. Good for her. Still getting work at in her nineties. Um, <laughs> okay, well, uh, that was one question each. So unfortunately, even though you did stump me there, um, that is not a point for either Corey or Emily. So uh, our final total for today is salamander axolotls with three points and the wolf marmots with four points. Uh, better luck next time for for Corey. And yes, you are creeping up. Uh, I'm excited to see where it goes next week. Um, and then, um, so that means that our Smartest Person Award today goes to Emily. Um, it's kind of fun <laughs> calling it the Smartest Person Award. Uh, <laughs> smartest Person with Avatar today. Yeah. Getting me with that 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 deep cut. Um, Not with that, that's been cut. our episode. Um, it's it, it's pretty deep. It's pretty deep. I mean, <laughs> I think you and I are the only ones who've read the books um, here. Which, That's by fair. the way, are extremely good, and I would mm-hmm. say on the same level as the original series and uh, Aura. Yeah. Good. Uh, they are involving, uh, it's a prequel with uh, Kiyoshi. Very, very, very good books. And if you have a, a library so. card, you can usually check them out via, I know that at least in um, the Seattle library system, you can check them out on your library card. So. Oh, good. Absolutely. Yeah. So with that, um, that is uh, that we're getting to our closing. Um, Emily, since you did uh, win the most points during this, uh, you get to mm-hmm. um, have final word on anything. So, kind of, right. what is your what? What do you want to bring up? Okay, um, and I thought really hard about this, and I didn't get to bring it up in our conversation about disability representation in Avatar, and I think that this is very important. Uh, people who are showrunners, people who are creating media hire people with disabilities to consult and work on your creations because the only way we're going to get authentic realistic and meaningful representation of disabilities in media and mental illness and in media is if you hire people with those experiences um and this goes into the live action as well hire people with diverse experiences diverse backgrounds and uh, diverse abilities and you know that's an actual job like yeah. I know someone on Twitter who she literally gets hired to be a consultant on uh, diversity yeah and she gets paid for that she's yeah. like a freelancer essentially so oh, wow. you know even if you can't find a really good writer and I, I doubt you could but if you really can't find a, a writer to be on your show that is relevant um, mm-hmm. you know just hire hire someone who can consult that's all also you need listen to, do. to them difficult. and make it a safe place for them yes 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 don't just hire them actually listen to them and take their yeah. advice because you're paying them for it mm-hmm. um, so I know that uh, Emily got the final word but uh, I kind of wanted to just uh, say thank you uh, to Jeff for joining us today you've been awesome um, uh, thank you so much for for doing this uh, it's been a long time coming for sure yes and uh, I hope that uh, you enjoyed your time here. And I did. We would a love lot. to have you back. Maybe awesome. I can come back. Awesome. Yeah. Absolutely, and we can certainly talk about that and mm-hmm. make it a make it a thing next time. So, with that, uh, Emily, uh, how do you want to how do you want to end this podcast? What's your, uh, what's your probably the same way. Off? Probably the same way I did it last time. Uh, go to therapy, kids. 